Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 232 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, and I'm excited about today's episode because we're going to talk about the ever-important long run and how to get the most out of your long runs as a fundamental piece of your training. We'll get to that in just a second. First, I've got just a couple of quick notes before we jump into the main topic today. First of all, I wanted to remind you that the book Venture, which we talked about on the last episode with Allison, Gabe, and Sean, is now available for pre-orders. If you're interested in the Rogue Expedition's story, the link is in my show notes from episode 231, or you can also find that if you go to rogueexpeditions.com forward slash venture. That's Rogue Expeditions. The Rogue and the Expeditions share an E, so only one E there in the middle, and you go to forward slash venture, you can pre-order a copy of that book and it will be available starting in June. So highly recommend it. As I mentioned on the last episode, a lot of great storytelling from Sean, the writer, via Allison and Gabe in many cases in that book. I think it's it's a fun read whether or not you've been on a Rogue Expeditions trip and it will certainly make you want to go on one if you haven't been on one already. Secondly, I've got to give a shout out to my co-host for the Clean Sport Collective podcast, Kara Goucher, because she has signed on to do announcing color commentary really with NBC heading into this Olympic season. She's already called a couple of meets, the Oregon Relays and the Drake Relays. We'll be doing other meets and then up and into and including the Olympic trials and then the Olympics as well in Tokyo. I think you'll really enjoy Kara's perspective calling the track and I'm excited for it because it's a big step and she did awesome in the meets that she's called already, the Oregon and Drake relays. I would highly recommend tuning in to NBC when they're showing track this spring and early summer because Kara will likely be on the call, which also means we're into summer track season and we're into our build up to the Olympic trials, which is exciting I won't talk about any specific races right now, but I would highly encourage you as a fan to perk your ears up and pay attention to what's going on on the track because there's a lot to sort out in advance of those Olympic trials to figure out who might make our team in Tokyo. We've got a lot of interesting storylines because of the year of the pandemic. Basically, there's so much uncertainty going into this trial season because you have collegians who are now pros and competing with pros for the first time. You have pros that have had varying degrees of training and perhaps some time off during the last year and maybe didn't race as much. You've got others that are, you know, on top of their game and maybe were running times really fast over the fall and winter. Plus you have the new spikes, which basically are a takedown from the super shoes on the road that are now boosting times on the track, which adds a degree of variability depending on what sponsor you might be running with. And so there's just so much going on and it's going to be really interesting and fascinating to see who's able to make that team. But I think you're going to have a lot of new faces and new names on an Olympic team this season because it's at the moment wide open. Of course, you'll have your salty veterans as well, but it's going to be fun to watch and I'll be covering some of those events as we build up to the trials and then we'll certainly have my prep episodes and predictions for the trials as we get closer to those in June before the Olympics comes in late July. So tune in to NBC when you can. Cheer Kara on as a commentator. I think she's doing an awesome job as she learns that world and I think you'll enjoy it. So that's what we have by way of intro. Now let's jump into my main topic. I want to talk about the long run and really the art of getting the most out of your long run. In many ways, the long run is the most important piece of your training. It is a fundamental building block to building your aerobic capacity, your global ability to process oxygen. And if you're training for races, especially the half marathon and marathon distances, it's absolutely critical cornerstone of training, but really it's important regardless of what distance you're training for. My my favorite example is of the great miler Nick Willis, who talks about regularly doing 18 to 20 mile long runs 
in prep for his one mile races on the track. And he is a two time Olympic medalist in the 1500 meters. So he knows what he's talking about. But that long run helps you build aerobic capacity, which is your global ability to process oxygen, which is so critical to getting the most out of yourself as a distance runner. So let's break this down. We're going to talk first about the why. Why is this important? We're going to then talk about all the details for how long to go, how often, how fast, how to fuel, and then, of course, how to optimize your long runs over time as you get to more experienced place. So this is a critical episode. Part of the impetus for this episode is because I've had a couple of conversations recently and actually a couple of emails from listeners that have talked to me about what they're doing in their long run. And I thought this would help answer some questions. It also touches on, and I will touch on, one of my pet peeves with the long run, which is that those insist that those who insist to run their long runs at race pace, particularly those marathoners, and they think if I just run marathon pace for longer and longer distances, then I'm gonna be able to do it for twenty six point two. And that is absolutely the wrong approach and is not how it works. We'll get to that in a second. But first, let's talk about the why. I've already alluded to one of the reasons why we do long runs, but I'll give you three, at least three primary ones, and I'm sure there are others. But the first reason is that the long run helps build aerobic capacity. Aerobic capacity, your global ability to process oxygen. And I've talked about this on the show before, but what we're trying to do as distance runners is train our bodies to get as much oxygen as possible to our cells and into our working muscles so that they can then perform respiration, which makes the body go. And of course, to understand respiration, we have to think about it in its elemental form, which is that we're basically making a chemical reaction happen inside our body, inside our our mitochondria, inside our working muscles and the cells in the working muscles, and they're performing a chemical function which helps give and create energy so that we can move. So what what does that look like? And, you know, there are obviously different steps and components to it, but at the very basic level, respiration is the process of taking glucose, which is basically sugar, and oxygen, combining the two with some other secret sauce inside our cells, and the output is carbon dioxide, water, and ATP, which is also called energy. That's what makes you go. So the inputs are glucose and oxygen. The outputs are carbon dioxide, which you exhale, water, which you sweat out, and energy, which makes you go. And as a part of the reaction that's happening there, typically glucose is readily available in our body and is not a limiting factor. It it does become a limiting factor over time, over longer periods of time. But the primary limiting factor in that equation is typically oxygen. And so we want to take as much oxygen from the air around us into our lungs, translate that into our bloodstream, which then gets to our working muscles so that we can perform as much respiration as possible and, again, produce as much energy as as possible. So oxygen is the limiting factor, and we're trying to improve every physiological step along the way to get more oxygen from the air into those mitochondria and the long run especially the easy long run is what helps us optimize that chain of events which includes again as i've talked about before adding more mitochondria to your cells actually adding capillaries to your working muscles so that you get more blood flow into them adding red blood cells improving our red blood cells ability to carry oxygen improving our lungs' ability to pass oxygen into our bloodstream and improving our lungs' ability to take in oxygen. All of those steps in that chain of taking one molecule of oxygen from the air into our working muscles are all important elements. They, t- they develop over a long period of time and they are primarily, primarily 
developed through easy aerobic work and particularly long easy aerobic work. And so the long run is that most important component of our training week that's helping us improve aerobic capacity, which helps us produce more ATP or energy in respiration. So that's number one and far and away the primary reason why we do long runs. Number two is that we're building neuromuscular coordination and resilience. We're building neuromuscular coordination and resilience. What does that mean? That essentially means by running more at easy efforts, you're improving your efficiency, you're improving your running form through better neuromuscular coordination because when you do something more, your body finds a groove with it, becomes more efficient with it naturally, which helps you become more efficient from a form perspective in whatever version your body tends to take. So the long run helps us improve neuromuscular coordination in a way that makes us more efficient. In addition, the longer we go and the more we go long, we're building neuromuscular resilience so that you have less of a breakdown as your body goes longer and longer. If you go watch a marathon, you'll see if you happen to be on the sidelines at around, you know, mile 24, 25, you'll see a lot of people hunched over, maybe running really wonky. Their form is broken down because when fatigue happens, that tends to be what goes first as our form starts to break down and we become less efficient and we're just gutting it out trying to get through to that finish line. Well, the long run helps us extend the extend the time at which we can run and maintain proper form. So it's building resilience, which has to happen neuromuscularly so that your body can coordinate all of the form elements for longer and longer periods of time in a way that stays efficient versus gets broken down and starts to look ugly and therefore gets inefficient. So that's number two. You're building neuromuscular coordination and resilience. Number three reason why we do long run is for the purposes of fueling adaptation. The purposes of fueling adaptation. As I mentioned, in that chemical reaction called respiration, the inputs are oxygen and glucose. The outputs are carbon dioxide, water, and ATP or energy. And in that input side of the equation, oxygen typically is in the short term, the limiting factor to the equation. But in the long term, once you get over, typically for most people, two to two and a half hours of running hard, then you start to use up the glucose or glycogen stores inside your body. And then that, th- that thing, glucose, the sugar part of the equation becomes the limiting reagent and your body has to find new sources, which you can either get externally or you can convert fat in your body into glucose to fuel, to continue to fuel that process. But the process of converting to burning fat is tricky and tough and your body doesn't like it. It can take some time. And that's typically where the quote unquote marathon wall happens is when your body runs out of glucose and suddenly you can't easily convert to burning fat into or turning fat into glucose to fuel that process. So you hit a wall until your body kind of sorts through that, which can also be called a bonk in some cases. And so what we're doing when we're running long is we're teaching our body to use the fat stores that we have more efficiently to convert those fat stores into glucose more efficiently when more efficiently when that switch happens and even to learn how to do both things at once so that you're not only using the glucose and glycogen that you have in your system, but you're also in parallel to that starting to burn fat a little bit sooner so that when you have to switch over to burning more fat, it's less obstructive. It's not as hard of a shift for your body and you're able to do it more efficiently. And so as a whole part of that process, especially for those of us that are marathoners that are going longer than two hours in a half as well, then you're going to need your body to be efficient at pulling the fuels that it has available and turning that into something that it can use as part of respiration. 
And so that's the third thing that we're trying to do with our long run is work on fueling adaptation. So those are the whys. We're building aerobic capacity. We're working on neuromuscular coordination and resilience. And we're also working on fueling adaptation. Those are the three big reasons why we do a long run, which for those of us that are distance runners, especially those of us doing half marathons and marathons, those are the pretty three fundamental building blocks of putting together a good race. And so the long run is important to all of those and therefore is a cornerstone of training. And it's important to optimize that over time. So let's talk about some of the fundamental questions that you might have about coordinating and planning your long runs. And I'm going to get to these topics basically by asking some fundamental questions you might have about how to structure your long runs. The first one we're going to get to is the question of how often should I be doing a long run? How often should I be doing a long run? And I'm not just talking about during your week, but I'm also talking about throughout the year and as you string together training cycle after training cycle. You know, the question is, how often do we do it? And for this, you know, I'll answer it in the short term and then I'll answer it thinking about the long term as well. First of all, as an overarching answer to this, there is a place for the long run in your training every single week, every single week, with the exception of the two weeks after a really big race, whether that be a half marathon or a marathon. Certainly there are those windows of time when you're recovering from a peak effort. And if you're peaking two or three times a year, then you might have four to six weeks out of the year where you're not doing a traditional long run. Outside of that, I would recommend building in a long run every single week. We'll get to how long in a second. Some of those Long runs, I put in air quotes because they might actually be down week long runs where they're not quite as long as some of the others. But the overall message is still the same. There is a place for a long run every single week. And the more consistent you can be about doing long runs outside of those post-race recovery windows, the better you're going to be in the long term. Because again, we're playing a long-term game to build aerobic capacity. We're playing a long-term game to build neuromuscular efficiency and resilience. And we're playing a long-term game to build fueling adaptation over time, which means that every week that you can stack into every month, which you can stack into every year, which you can stack into every two, three, four, five years, and even a decade of consistent long running is only going to continue to pay dividends along that physiological chain of building aerobic capacity that I talked about from the air to the lungs, to the bloodstream, to the cells, to the mitochondria that you have performing respiration. That entire chain continues to develop physiologically in those long-term periods of time where you're consistently long running. So how often? Every week outside of recovery windows that might be touched to a specific training race or peaking moment. So you're going to do it every week. And then in the short term, what I recommend is at least two bigger long runs every three weeks and one smaller long run, putting that in air quotes, every three weeks. So it's sort of replicating the the 10-day cycle that many elites follow and turning that for those of us who have day jobs into a weekly cycle that typically means two up long runs in a three-week period and one down long run in a three-week period where you might be cutting back 20 to 25 percent sometimes even a little bit more during those many long runs but you're still getting in the work every single week And we'll talk in just a second about how long those should be and how they might compare to each other's. But you're doing long runs every week outside of those recovery windows. And typically you're getting two bigger long runs every three weeks with one smaller one. Or if you're using a 10-day cycle, you'll have two big long runs in a 20-day period as a part of that 10-day cycle. So it's every week and it's 
two big long runs every 20 days or so, or every three weeks, 21 days. That's the frequency, but you keep doing it no matter what. Second question people would ask next uh, typically is, well, how long? How long am I going? How long am I doing for these long runs? And obviously it's going to vary and you're going to have a training cycle where you build up in some of these and then come down at times. So there's going to be modulation throughout a year and throughout a training cycle based on where you might be in your training. But how long should they be? First of all, let's set some minimums. Let's set some minimums. So for that advanced runner, typically your shortest long run, if you're following a consistent year-round training, is going to be 14 to 16 miles. And so your default minimum is 14 to 16 miles every single week. And then typically you would alternate with that as a down week distance going up to 18 to 22 potentially for those up week distances when you're in your training modes. And then those that are of, you know, medium experience, you're going to have long run minimums of 10 to 12 miles with longer long runs north of that you know, up to 20 miles for those that are 20 to 22 for those that are in marathon training and up to potentially 14 to 18 for those in half marathon training. And then those with less experience who are still building mileage, your long run is minimums are going to be probably somewhere in the six to eight mile range with obviously the peaks going up to 20 to 22 for marathoners and up to probably 12 to 14 for half marathoners. And so that floor is probably the most important part of the long-term equation while those peaks or those longer long runs are more important as it relates to a specific training cycle and how you might be optimizing towards building to a peak. So again, advanced, more experienced athletes, long run minimums, 14 to 16 miles every single week with the big long runs bigger than that, depending on what you're training for medium experience 10 to 12 mile minimums and those with lower less experience that might be at lower mileages six to eight miles and so you're getting in at least those distances every single week and then modulating up to more than that depending on what you might be training for and where you might be in that specific cycle of training so then the next question after we talked about after we talk about long run minimums gets to, okay, well, how long should I go? What should be, what should my longest long run be? And here, before I answer that question specifically, I want to mention this rule of thumb that you, that some of you may have heard of, which is some people say, well, your long run shouldn't be more than 20% of your weekly mileage. And I would say just to be clear that I do not follow or believe in that percentage as a rule, as uh, as something that should govern your long run distance. I believe that percentage was created using elite level mileage and a lot of elite athletes are running 100 miles a week and they might be doing a 20 mile long run, in which case their long run will be 20% of their training just because that's the way it works out for them. And so some have decided that that should then carry down to the everyday runner and and yet there's no science to back that up and it's really just an arbitrary percentage created based on what the percentage might happen to be for a certain subset of runners and and to me it just doesn't make sense you'll actually see that percentage used in the book the hansen's marathon method and while i generally completely agree with the hansen's fundamental principles, I completely disagree with their perspective on the long run for the everyday runner, where they arbitrarily apply this 20% rule and then say, well, then that means your long run should max out at 16 miles in some cases as you prepare for a marathon. And I just, I, it doesn't, again, doesn't make sense to me. There's no science that suggests that that should be an upper limit. Plus I've trained literally thousands of runners doing long runs of 20 to 24 miles to prep for their marathons because I believe that you have to do the distance in in order to prep for 
the race. And I just don't think 16 miles is enough to properly prepare for a marathon. And the basis for that number is based on a completely arbitrary percentage that's based on the percentage, you know, of, of a week that the long run happens to be for a small subset of runners. So throw that out the door and then ask yourself, okay, what should my peak mileage be based on the race that I'm doing? And my philosophy here is pretty straightforward. I believe you need to get enough long run to be able and to be prepared for the distance that you're trying to run without overdoing it. I also tend to believe that frequency of doing a certain distance is more important than the raw distance itself. So for marathoners, I like 20 to 22 miles as a as a sweet spot for peaking in your marathon training. For half marathoners, I like 14 to 16 miles typically, although occasionally I'll sp- sprinkle in 18 milers for my half marathoners. For anybody going less than half marathon, I like to see t- at least 12 to 14 miles as your peak long run in a training cycle. And again, you may ask yourself, well, if I'm doing a 10K or a half marathon, why would I need to do some of these over distance long runs? And to me, the answer goes back to the first point, because you want to build aerobic capacity, neuromuscular coordination and resilience, and you want to have the fueling adaptation that's going to help you be most effective at any distance. And in order to optimize your work to get those three key benefits of training, you just have to go longer. And so that's why we do so. And even in training for those shorter distance races. So 20 to 22 for marathoners, 14 to 16 with maybe the occasional 18 miler for half marathoners and 12 to 14 for most 10K runners. Although again, I think there's a case, as I mentioned, for any distance to be doing 18 mile long runs. If you're built for that, if you're experienced enough if you have the mileage under your belt and can do it in a way that keeps you healthy there is a place for that in training for any distance so we talked about how often we talked about how long and now kind of got to put those questions together to talk about okay well how does that work you know how many 20 milers should i be doing how many 14 to 16 milers should i be doing for a half marathoner And so let's talk about that quickly. For marathoners, often you'll see, I guess typically I see two to three 20 plus milers in most training programs that I see online. Personally, I don't think that's enough. I like to have runners do typically anywhere from four to six 20 plus milers in a training block, which would be the same number of peak long runs in a half marathon training block. So with, with obviously the modulated distance. So four to six, 20 to 22 milers for marathoners. And I would say four to six, 14 to 16 milers for half marathoners in order to get the most benefit from that work. And, you know, over time, you want to see that gradually creeping upward. So your first marathon, maybe you only do four. 20 milers. And then over time you build up in subsequent training cycles to be able to do up to six 20 milers. For the record, I have prescribed more than that in a training cycle. And so there occasionally is a time and a place for that. But typically, again, as a rule of thumb, I'm looking for four to six 20 to 22 milers in a marathon training block and four to six 14 to 16 milers in a half marathon training block modulated, of course, with those downweek distances that we've already talked about. And you may say, well, why why so many? <laughs> and the answer, again, goes back to those first three reasons. The more you can do this type of work in a training block, the more aerobic capacity you build, the better neuromuscular coordination and resilience you have, and the better fueling adaptation you have as well. And so it all comes back to those three things and giving yourself enough stimulus to get the full benefit of those three elements. And that may be more than what you're used to or what you're prescribed. And I totally understand that. And so don't jump into these things going from zero to 60 overnight, but build towards it. These are targets 
that you can build towards, that you can work towards, that will ultimately help you optimize your training. So we've talked about how long, we've talked about how often, and we've talked about how long and how often. The next natural question is how fast. (laughs) The next natural question is how fast. And it's important, this point is, is maybe the most important answer in this entire discussion because you have to manage your paces appropriately in order for it all to work together. You have to manage manage your paces appropriately in your long run in order for it all to work together, meaning in order to be able to run the distances that I'm talking about as much as I'm talking about running it, and in order to get the most benefit from those three elements that I've already discussed. And it's really easy to screw this up because of ego that says, hey, I just want to run fast all the time, or if I run fast all the time, or I run race pace in my long runs, and that will prove to myself that I can do it over the full distance when it's time. You have that going on. You also have the prevailing wisdom out there of people that are telling you that you should run a certain pace in order to get a certain goal in your long run. And a lot of that armchair coaching is just flat out wrong. And so it's it's critical that you hear this point. Again, not only so you can get the three benefits that I've already discussed a bunch of times, but also so that it all fits together in a way that works. So that it all fits together in a way that works. And so the first principle of long run pacing is that you have to go easy. Long, slow distance, some call it LSD, some call it long, easy distance. Easy is the word I prefer because it doesn't put the negative connotations of the word slow on things. And it also is really relative. It's, it's easy for you. Your long runs and the vast majority of time that you spend in your long run should be done at easy conversational paces. Easy conversational paces. And I'll give you a couple of reference points for this. One would be the simple talk test, which I just alluded to. If you can speak comfortably in full sentences, if you can have an easy conversation with your running friends while out in the long run, then that's probably a sign that you're going at the right effort. Second would be a pace guideline. If you're running at least a minute per mile slower than your target marathon pace, then that's a good sign that you're in the right zone. Although you can even go slower than that. Typically, I give a range to my athletes, which is that I want them running at least a minute slower than marathon pace up to two minutes slower than marathon pace or 90 seconds slower than half marathon pace up to two and a half minutes slower than half marathon pace. If you're in that pace range, you're probably also in the right place to be getting the right benefits from the work. And the last reference point I'll give you is heart rate. And this formula is a little bit crude because everybody's heart is different and you really have to get tested individually to understand your true heart rate zones. But I think Phil Maffetone has a different, decent reference point for this, which is that if you take 180, subtract your age from 180 and give yourself probably five beats per minute on either side of that as a range, that probably gives you a range of heart rate that is acceptable for your long run in order to stay in the right zone. You know, it doesn't have to be perfectly precise the entire time, but you want to see that your heart rate is in a manageable zone the entire time, which correlates to pace and effort so that it ensures you're getting the right benefits from the long run. That's another way to look at it. For me, I'm 41 years old, so if I take 180 minus 41, that's 139, then my long run should be in that range, probably 135 to 145 as my optimal long run effort range in order to get the right benefits from doing this work. Now, if you if you step into people's Strava, you'll often see when they go for their long run that they go much harder than that. 
And so what happens when you go much harder than that? Well, two things happen that are disruptive to your training. One is that if you're going too fast on long runs, then you are putting stress on the neuromuscular system in a way that can lead to injury. So you're pressing and therefore putting stress on the physical structure of your body in a way that will hurt you, potentially. The other thing is that you're shortcutting that process of building aerobic capacity because aerobic capacity is built at easy efforts. That's the sweet spot. So optimizing aerobic capacity comes at easy efforts. And if you go faster than that, then you get stuck in a literal no man's land of physiological aerobic development, which is going to cause you not to reach your aerobic capacity potential. And it will also cause you typically to get stuck in a fitness rut that will cause your ceiling to be lower than it would be if you were putting all these pieces together in the right way. And so when somebody tells you, go run marathon pace for your long run and just extend it over time so that you can prove to yourself that you can run that distance for 26.2 miles or go run half marathon pace for longer and longer periods of time as you build towards a half, people that are telling you that are actually putting you at risk physically while also causing you to sub-optimize your aerobic development, which is going to limit your potential and limit your ability to get your goals. That is absolutely critical. I'm not telling you to go easy on your long runs to baby you. I'm telling you to go easier on your long runs to stay healthy and consistent and also to make sure that you're in the right aerobic zone to build aerobic capacity, which maximizes your ability to process oxygen, which ultimately then determines how fast you can run for longer distances. All of it works together. And if you go too fast, then you short circuit that process and therefore sub-optimize your work. Now, it's hard to perhaps wrap your brain around that concept because I know The ego gets in the way, and I also know that there's doubt, mental doubt gets in the way because there's something about running marathon pace for longer and longer distances that gives you this theoretical confidence that you can carry that for 26.2, but you got to let that go. Have faith in the process that I'm talking about because it will ultimately lead to goal smashed, and it will lead to you reaching more potential than you ever thought possible if you put together these pieces the right way. So go easy on your long runs, period, full stop. Which also means, by the way, stop obsessing over your Garmin or your Strava output on a long run. I'll have people tell me, oh, well, I ran this pace for that distance after their long run on a Saturday here at Rogue. And my typical thought process is, well, I don't care what pace you ran. What I care is, was the effort right? Meaning, was it easy? And really, that's pretty much it. Because sometimes if we we become obsessed with pace or we somehow think that running a long run at a certain pace means something, if we go faster, then we're thinking about it all wrong. Because you could run a faster long run and get less out of it than running a slower long run. Mind blown, right? You can run a faster long run and get less out of it than running a slower long run. Because if in that slower long run, that easier long run, you are in the right effort zone in order to get the right aerobic capacity benefits while also protecting the neuromuscular system, then that's a win. Versus if you went faster than that, and even though it may look better on Strava, you could be, again, in the wrong aerobic zone to optimize aerobic capacity while also putting your neuromuscular system at risk, which might cause injury, which might cause then, therefore, inconsistency, which only affects all of your ability to train the way you want to train. So stop worrying about it. Worry about effort. Think about your success in the long run as finishing at an easy conversational pace and feeling like you could have gone more. 
and then not being beat up afterwards. That's what success looks like in the long run, for the most part. And if you can do that, then you have a win. Now, of course, and we'll talk about this in a second, there are there is a time and a place for injecting pace work into a long run, pace work with specific purpose. We'll talk about that at the end. But I'm talking about the vast majority of your long runs, which should be easy conversational paces. I am not here talking about those long runs where we might inject some practice pacing, inject pra- practice pacing so that we can build towards our race. So that's the question of how fast. And really, you should reframe that question to be more like how easy, how easy should I run my long runs? Because if you can run those at an easy effort, that's how you optimize the work. Next question is, how do I fuel? How do I fuel and slash hydrate? How do I fuel and hydrate for the long runs? And I'll break this discussion up into three component parts. We'll talk about pre-run, during run, and post-run fueling in order to optimize all of the pieces of it. So first, pre-run, night before, you don't have to carbo load for a long run. Carbo loading is a bit of a marathoner's myth. There is technically a way to carbo load, but it's it's done over a five day, sometimes a week long process. And really it's not something that I even tell people to mess with or mess with or think about even in advance of your race because it really requires some some sort of crazy intense carb protocols. And instead, for most of us, especially for our long runs, we should just worry about getting a good, clean, balanced meal the night before that isn't going to mess with your stomach. So to me, you could eat almost anything you want as long as it's well-balanced and it puts you in a place to feel good the next morning. So for each of us, that's going to look very different. It's an individual formula and you can eat really anything under the sun that fits into your normal not your normal diet, whatever normal is for you. Just make sure that you choose that subset of normal that doesn't mess with your stomach. It's going to allow you to feel good and ready and not having to go to the bathroom in any weird ways that next morning or during that next run. And so you want to use every chance you get to play with that until you find the formula that works for you. But do think about it. Do prepare for it, especially for those key long runs in a training cycle. Those key longer long runs in a training cycle is practice what you might eat the night before. Pick from the subset of your typical foods and choose something that you know doesn't mess with you, that you know isn't going to mess with your stomach that next morning, and you know is going to make you feel good, or at least not make you think about what you ate the night before when you're out on your long run. Same applies in my perspective for that morning of breakfast. That morning of breakfast, typically I like to eat a little bit before my long run just to get the system working. For me, it's as much about being able to go to the bathroom before I do my long run as as it is anything else, but I'll eat something light. For me, that typically looks like dry cereal. For some, that might be banana and bagel. Could be piece of fruit. I mean, the the possibilities are endless. Could be a bar, something like that. But it should be something that's small, that's easy again on your stomach, that just gets the system primed a little bit. And again, it's something that you have to play with in order to find out what works for you. I also typically like to have to eat that a little bit out from the start of my run. When I'm getting up on a training run, typically I'm waking up 45 minutes or so before I start my run. And so I'll eat what I can around that time, right when I get up, somewhere between 30 and 45 minutes before my run. Some people need more time than that. And certainly on a race morning, I'll give myself more time than that so I can make sure that that gets into the system and allows things to start moving and working. Again, typically so that I can go to the bathroom before I start my long runs. But you want to find that little breakfast that is going to work for you to kickstart your system in the morning without overdoing it. So 
nice easy dinner that fits and works for you the night before. Small targeted breakfast, 30 minutes to an hour before you start your long run. And then fueling during the long run. Let's talk about that. Here you've got options and you've got as many options under the sun as, as exist out there. I should also note that this is important for anybody doing marathons, of course, because you have to fuel in a marathon. It's also important for those half marathoners that are going a little bit longer. So typically anything over two hours when you're racing is when I would recommend using nutrition. If you're going less than that for a half marathon, then you might be able to get away without because your body is carrying enough glycogen stores to last for typically up to two hours. And so, again, no judgment there. There's no slow, only degrees of fast, but you do have to think about those, the timing if you're going to think about fueling on the long run. And then it's just a matter of experimenting. And every one of us is different, so you have to play with the variables that work for you. And you have to use every long run as an opportunity to experiment until you dial in and figure out what works for you. For me, I've got that figured out, so I know that I can use a certain formula and get exactly what I need out of a run. But there's typically two basic modalities of thinking about in-run nutrition. There's the sugar modality and then there's the super starch modality. And so we'll talk about both. In terms of the sugar modality, basically the idea there is to replace the glucose in your system via external sources sooner than when you run out of it so that you don't hit a crash, a trough of energy. And so if you're going to go with the sugar modality, then typically what I recommend is that you start supplementing about an hour into your run or race and then come back to it every 30 to 45 minutes after that. And so there's a lot of different forms for this. There's gels, there's chews, there's liquid calories. There's a lot of different ways you can get this going. But you want to start about an hour in and then come back to it every 35 or 30 to 45 minutes with an additional serving of whatever you might be taking. So if you're doing gels as your base, as your starting point, then you would take one gel at an hour in and then come back and do another gel every 30 to 45 minutes after that. And you have to play with that timing, the start timing, as well as those intervals in order to figure out what works for you in that equation. Same thing if you're doing chews, you would start with one serving at an hour in and then come back with another serving every 30 to 45 minutes in order to stay on top of it so you don't hit that sugar trough. There's so many options for this. There's things that are more natural, less natural, they have varying ingredients and you have to just go and play with it for and see what works for you. I highly recommend going to your local running store and just letting them walk through it. The staff will be really educated. They're going to be able to show you all the options, talk about the pros and cons of the varying options out there, pick something as a starting point based on what you think might work for you, and then just go try it and then iterate on that based on how it goes. That's the sugar method. Then you have the super starch method, which is the one I use, and that's using a product called UCAN where typically what you want to do is take it before you start, finishing it about 30 minutes before. It gives you anywhere from two to four hours worth of energy. It starts as a slower burning carb, and then you have to come back to it, either supplementing with gels after a longer period of time, or the you can, again, itself in order to extend your energy through the rest of your run. And so for me, what that looks like for someone who's running a, a marathon typically under three hours is I'm doing a serving of UCAN 30 minutes before I start, making sure I finish it by that point. And then that's all I actually use. I'll supplement with sugar, liquid calories in the form of Gatorade, Powerade, or whatever they might have on course. And that typically works for me given the time frame that I'm out there. But again, you have to figure out what works for you and what your individual plan and protocol looks like. But play with it, figure it out, talk to your friends, see what that works for them, and then try things that work for you and just figure out that individual formula because you got to dial it in before race day. 
Let's talk about hydration for a second. Enron hydration. The science on this tells us that as long as we're drinking to thirst, then we should be good to go. Now, with that in mind, yeah, you have to plan sometimes for having access to hydration when you happen to be thirsty. And so how we think about drinking to thirst might still require some planning so that you can make sure you have access to water when you need it. For training purposes, I do recommend for those, especially if you're training on your own and don't have water stop capabilities like you have at Rogue, for example, here in Austin, then I would encourage you to carry a handheld with some water in it so that you can drink to thirst as you run and also plan to refill it at certain intervals on the run so that you have hydration available to you when you need to need it and can just drink to thirst in smaller doses as you go so that you never get behind. I wouldn't necessarily use that handheld in a race, although some choose to, to make it a little bit easier so they don't have to worry about water stops. But then in a race, typically what I'm doing is I'm trying to get some hydration at every single water stop after the first water stop so that I stay ahead of things. And it sort of acts like drinking from a handheld without actually having a handheld available to you. If you want to get technical about your hydration needs, then I would encourage you to listen to episode 145, where I talk about my first ultra marathon and how you can use some hydration math and do sweat tests and things like that to really try to dial in more specifically how much, how many ounces of fluid you should be having per hour so that you stay ahead of it if this happens to be an area of trouble for you. For some people, it's not. It's pretty, it's pretty straightforward, and if that's the case, then great. If you need to get more technical, then I would encourage you to listen to that episode 145. The other thing to think about from a hydration perspective is salt tablets and potentially supplementing with electrolytes on your run. Again, this is really only some, something I recommend if you struggle with training in the heat in whatever form it might be worthwhile to supplement with electrolytes in the form of salt pills. I personally will use during the warm, humid summer mornings here in Austin, I'll use Enduralites where I will take typically one serving of Enduralites before I start and then I'll do one serving every hour. That's what works for me and what typically is recommended if you look at the recommended servings on those bottles, but obviously you'll have to play with that and figure out what works for you. Some people need more than that, some people need less. You just have to play with it just like you're playing with your nutrition in order to figure out how it works. Electrolytes aren't necessarily needed, I think, unless you're having a problem or unless you're thinking about going really long in, in, in an ultra-style environment, particularly in warmer weather, where you really need to make sure you're supp supplementing with electrolytes so that you can absorb the water that you're taking in. Electrolytes help with that process of osmosis, which is to basically bring water through the cellular membrane to the cells so that it can help respiration happen. While water is not a core input to the process of respiration, it is a minor ingredient, a facilitator, if you will, and so it is an important part of the equation. It also does things like helping regulate blood volume, helping with digestion if you are taking the calories and it does a host of other things. You want to make sure that you are thinking about the overall hydration equation appropriately. And if it, if it is an issue for you, then certainly focus on it a little bit more. So that's in-run nutrition hydration. Post-run, you also want to make sure that you're properly refueling after your long run because that's a critical component of long run recovery is making sure that you within about an hour after finishing your long run you get a solid balanced meal to me this is the the fun part of the morning when you get where you get to go to brunch with your running buddies or with your family post long run and have a good solid well-balanced meal where you want to make sure you're balancing carbs protein and fats in order to give your body the building blocks it needs to kickstart the recovery process. You know, there are certainly specific guidelines you might get on macronutrients in terms of what percentages of each you should have. But personally, my general approach is just get a good, solid, balanced meal within an hour 
of finishing your long run so that your body can kickstart the recovery process. Your body also at that time is more able to take the carbs you're taking in and refill your glycogen stores in a way that's different than when you're just going about your everyday life. And so your body is actually primed and ready to recharge itself as well as rebuild itself during that window right after a long run. So just make sure that you're refueling well. You also want to make sure that you're hydrating well. You know, for me, I always like to think about making sure that I go can go to the bathroom again as quickly as possible and sort of get to normal urinary function as quickly as possible post long run, especially on again those warm and summer warm summer humid Austin mornings. And so I'll make sure I'm rehydrating well post long run so that I'm getting back to a normal urinary flow as well as a part of the recovery process. So that equation of nutrition and hydration starts before the run the night before it continues obviously during the run and then it carries on to after the run none of this stuff is that complicated and it should get to a point where you don't even have to think about it because you know what works for you but during that window where you are trying to experiment and figure out what works for you then obviously it's important to play with these various elements so that's fueling the last question i'll get to here is how do you optimize the long run? How do you optimize the long run? And this is where I'm going to talk about the the tweaks on the margin. As I mentioned earlier, we like to choose typically three, but sometimes three or four key long runs during a training cycle where you're incorporating some sort of pace work. Sometimes that pace work is done at race pace. Sometimes it's done at different paces or a combination of paces in order to help prepare the body for what you might face on race day itself. And so incorporating these long run workouts in three to four of your training long runs before your race is really important. And so where do those fit? Typically, we like to do our last one somewhere between three to five weeks out from a marathon and typically two to three weeks out from a half marathon depending on how things are scheduled. And then prior to that, typically every two to three weeks before that, you'll have a couple of other sessions so that they're spaced and you have the ability to recover from them and you're not doing more than one really big race prep every three weeks or so during your training. And this is the opportunity where you can depart from that easy long run effort that we talked about earlier Start to incorporate some race pace type work so that you learn to dial into race pace, but also, of course, learn to sustain race pace when you might be on tired legs. And so the the idea of working in those long runs with a little bit of marathon pace work, for example, becomes important as a part of your prep. Now, it's important to note you don't have to do really long segments of marathon goal pace Again, marathon goal pace is sort of the no man's land of physiological development. So I don't like to do more than typically five or six miles continuously at marathon pace inside a long run workout. But I might prescribe up to six or eight miles potentially for certain athletes at the very most. But I'm not having you do more than that. And so you're typically doing smaller marathon goal pace intervals Most often that comes in three to five mile chunks, sometimes with other work sprinkled in. So you don't need really long segments, but just enough to be able to work on and practice marathon pace, particularly as the fatigue build during these long runs. So that's one element to think about is, are you incorporating this pace work inside your long runs during a training cycle that that helps you prepare for the race at hand? As a part of that, Oftentimes, we like to have one of those race preps be what we call a simulator workout, a simulator workout where you're trying to, as you do that pace work inside the long run, also mimic the course that you're going to be on. And so here in Austin, we've got terrain where the higher elevations are further away from the center of the city and you're able to get to lower elevations inside the center of the city. So you can run a point-to-point course that is net downhill, 
like you would experience in Boston. We also have hills in Austin, so you're able to incorporate some heartbreak hill style hills in that long run. And so we have a Boston simulator course that isn't 26.2 miles, but is up to 20 miles where runners can simulate not only the train that they're going to run on race day, but also the paces that they're going to run on race day. We had a CIM, we called it the CIM Ulator course as well. That was also a net downhill course. We do other courses that allow people to try to mimic the terrain of the course that you're going to be on. And so when you're thinking about some of these long runs or these long runs where you're adding pace work, try to find a way to as closely as possible mimic the train you're going to face on race day. And if it's a pancake flat course like Chicago, then try to do your race prep long runs on flatter courses so that, again, you're simulating what you're going to face on race day inside your long run. So that's another element. Then finally, when you're doing these long run race preps and these simulator style runs, that's an opportunity to do what we call and what you would call in theater a dress rehearsal. It's an opportunity to practice all the elements that you're going to use on race day from what you eat the night before to what you eat that morning to what you wear, both in terms of shoes, but also, you know, gear, apparel, body glide whatever else you might be using to execute the race. And so you have this chance to practice every single little element, including the mental side of the equation. So you can even practice using the mantras you might use on race day in the simulator long run so that you have the opportunity to put every single element to the test and you can figure out before you get to race day what isn't going to work. You know, maybe that shirt or singlet or sports bra chafes you in a way that is really uncomfortable and you know to toss that out and try something new. And so you have this chance to take all the things you learn from your training cycle and bring it to bear in those prep long runs so that you hopefully work out any final kinks before race day itself. And so use the opportunity to pick a dress rehearsal. And and really, I like to use any of those long runs with pace work in them. I like to use any of them as an opportunity to treat it like a dress rehearsal so that you have a few chances to iterate before you get to race day. Now, one important discussion point there is that it doesn't have to go perfect. And in fact, you want the bad things to happen or the mistakes to happen inside those dress rehearsals, whether that be from a gear standpoint or whether that be from the pacing standpoint. Maybe you screwed up. Maybe you go too fast. Maybe you can't hold the paces. Maybe you have to bring all those mental tools to bear in the dress rehearsal. I kind of like it as a coach when something goes wrong in those dress rehearsals so that you practice having to adapt and work through a challenge and then hopefully still finish that workout strong. And so even Dress rehearsals, you, you kind of want them to have some issues, which will only help you prepare more for when it all matters. Because I promise you, not everything will, will go perfectly, typically on race day as well. And you're going to have to roll with the punches or work through some sort of aver- adversity. And even if it's not the same, it's better to have a challenge like that inside your long runs or inside your long run dress rehearsals prior to getting to the race. And so that's a way to optimize is use those long runs, especially those final long run workouts as an opportunity to practice all the pieces so that you work out every single kink you can before you actually show up. So there you go. That's something to think about as you optimize the long run. And then obviously as you learn, as you become more experienced and as you go through additional cycles of training, you're going to have all this stuff more and more dialed in so that by the time you get to that later chunk of races in your career, you know exactly what you need to do for nutrition and hydration. You know exactly what works the night before and the morning of, you know, what shoes you want to wear, you know, all your gear so that you can start to then focus on other things like executing your race or bringing the right mental tools to bear when things get hard. So there you go. That is is my episode on the long run, the church of the long run, as we like to call it. I'll leave you with a final quote from the great coach, Bill Squires. He coached a bunch of Boston Marathon winners, including Bill Rogers, Alberto Salazar, Greg Meyer. He coached Dick Beardsley, who got second in Boston and who also won London. 
he would say the long run puts the tiger in the cat. It's where you find that edge, especially as it relates to the longer races. And so not only is it important to build aerobic capacity, to build neuromuscular coordination and resilience, to adapt from a fueling perspective, but it also gives you that edge that gives you that staying power at the end of these long and hard races. And so go get those long runs done. Put the tiger in your cat. And I promise you, if you follow this advice, it will lead you to finding potential in you that you might not have otherwise expected. So we'll wrap this episode here. As always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.